This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a good day and uh, getting ready for another uh, blast of winter, which we can expect this time of year, especially around Valentine's. We always seem to get a Valentine's Day storm. Um, and of course, uh, it resonates here in Newfoundland and Labrador in many different ways because of the Ocean Ranger disaster. But um, uh, Claudette, we had a beautiful day yesterday. Just gorgeous, wasn't it? It really was. And it just felt good not having to just go out with like tons of stuff on me to the car. And I just, it just felt like a happy day. It was the perfect winter's day. The sun was mm-hmm. just blazing it was oh there's nothing quite like the blue sky and the white snow and i mean uh, people in uh labrador are laughing at us now because you know they're like yeah <laughs> what's the big deal but yeah. usually our winters here are not quite so lovely lovely exactly <laughs> <laughs> not quite so conducive to outdoor activities but anyway uh i digress we are going to get a bit of a storm coming our way a major system is uh expected to affect nearly every part of the island david neal of the environment canada weather office in gander joins me now as is uh, tradition in Newfoundland and Labrador, we're going to see a, uh, a Valentine's or a round Valentine's Day uh, snowstorm heading our way. What's uh, what's happening? Uh, yeah, so what we're uh, what we're tracking right now is a uh, is a storm that's going to move off the uh, U.S. east uh, eastern seaboard uh, basically through the day on on Tuesday, and as it gets off the coast, going to de- going to intensify quite quickly. Uh, as it tracks uh, south of the island on on Wednesday and eventually east of the island Wednesday night. Uh, So with that, um, expecting uh, some pretty heavy snow to start uh, uh, to get started along mainly kind of late overnight, early morning on uh, late overnight, Tuesday night and early morning Wednesday uh, across a lot parts, uh, much of the south coast in the Avalon Peninsula. And that's eventually going to spread through like north through northeastern and central regions um, in, into uh, into Wednesday morning. Um, we'll eventually uh, reach uh, pretty much the entire island by uh, by Wednesday evening, though for the most part uh, we expect uh, basically regions of really uh, kind of like the e- kind of eastern and central, kind of like those two-thirds of the island uh, are basically are look, look to uh, be the most likely to bear the brunt of this storm. So we're carrying winter storm watches for um, basically uh, Avalon Peninsula, parts of the south coast, uh, other parts of the east coast, and then northeastern and parts of central as well. Uh, with that, expecting total snowfall generally in the 30 to 50 centimeter range. Uh, could see some amounts over a few areas that could be a little higher than that, and some other areas also could be even a little less than that. But generally, looking as a as a general idea, uh, looking mainly 30 to 50 centimeters, and the, the bulk of that's going to likely fall uh, really through Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, though there could be uh, a bit of uh, lingering snow and blowing snow along parts of uh, parts of the west coast and northeast coast uh, through part of the day on Friday as well. But really kind of the main event expecting really mainly through the day, uh, through pretty well all day Wednesday and all day Thursday for uh, for a lot of areas of the island. 
And will the precipitation stay as snow, or can we expect some rain in there? Across most of the island, it will be snow. Uh, there is some indications that the Avalon Peninsula, where it's a little closer to the uh, to the center of the track, could get into a bit of warmer air and could see uh, really uh, a transition through uh, to ice pellets and then to rain through uh, through part of the day on Wednesday. Uh, so that would probably that would likely knock uh, knock the amounts down a little bit uh, on the Avalon. But that said, still looking at some pretty heavy snowfall, especially through. Uh, uh, during uh, the early early part of the day on Wednesday, that, uh, those early morning hours, uh, likely going to see some pretty heavy snowfall uh, and some strong winds. So some blustery conditions to start the day Wednesday. Looks like it may transition to uh, a mix of precipitation a little bit later in the day uh, for, for many parts of the Avalon, but then back around uh, to more uh, persistent uh, snow and a bit of uh, still a bit of a uh, little bit of blowing snow kicking around after that. Looks like the amounts on the backside uh, once this passes will be uh, a little bit a little bit lighter than the uh, than the initial blast, but even so, still expecting some additional accumulations to fall. Uh, through Wednesday night and Thursday across the across the Avalon Peninsula as well. And what about the wind? Uh, basically, look at most of the island as this thing move, as the storm moves up. Going to see winds kind of gradually increasing, uh, mainly over across southern Newfoundland, really through the through the night Tuesday night. But then by Wednesday morning, going to be some strong uh, northeast winds across pretty well the entire island. Uh, a lot of peak gusts looking generally 70 to 80 kilometers an hour in most areas or a few parts along the south and east coast that could see uh, gusts a little bit stronger than that through the early part of the day uh, on uh, on Wednesday, even possibly getting into Wednesday afternoon as well. Uh, as the storm passes to the east, winds switch around, generally switch to more of like a north-northwesterly. Uh, as we get more into Wednesday night and early Thursday, winds still going to be quite strong across a lot of areas, looking at a lot of maximum gusts in this kind of the 60 to 80 kilometer an hour range. Uh, so anywhere that's getting fresh snowfall there, you're going to have some uh, some some poor visibilities and not just in the in the in blowing snow, but in the falling snow as well. Those uh, those amounts coming down pretty heavy. So looking at a couple of pretty nasty days uh, coming up uh, coming up this week. And uh, as if on cue, uh, it's happening around uh, Valentine's Day. Why do we typically get these kinds of storms in and around mid-February? Um, well, basically, we're looking at it's uh, you know winter tends to be tends to uh, have some amount of activity as we get through as uh, storms that are coming off uh, coming off the east coast. Usually, they uh, they get a lot of their energy from the difference in temperature between the continental U.S. And the the oceans, which are still relatively uh, relatively warm, so that's where a lot of that energy comes from. So, uh, looking continental uh, continental landmass tends to be quite cold at this point in the year, uh, with the relatively warm ocean. So, as they come off the east, east coast, they do uh, you do get a few of these uh, storms that do uh, tend to uh, intensify pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, really this time of year, you can get into uh, getting get towards. Uh, uh, early part of March as well uh, tend to see some some pretty uh, pretty significant storms that uh, that make their way up and and uh, tend to tend to hit us. And this uh, particular storm and the one we experienced last week um, really slow moving. What's behind that? Uh, so sometimes you do get those systems that do get what we call get cut off. So this this particular the, the last one got. Uh, uh, kind of out of the atmosphere, main atmospheric flow south of the island. This one looks like it's taken a little more of a traditional route. It's coming up uh, fairly quickly as it moves south of the island. But yeah, definitely 
does kind of slow down a bit uh, as it gets east of the island and actually even turns uh, uh, back uh, back towards the west just slightly before eventually uh, eventually moving away. So sometimes these, uh, this happens where uh, where the storm gets, uh, as you say, kind of cut off from the main atmospheric flow and they just they tend to meander a little bit uh, until uh, until they can uh, get kicked out again. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be one of the big uh, considerations uh, with, with this storm, especially for uh, some of these areas more across northeastern Newfoundland where uh, where we, we once, once the snow starts, we expect it to kind of stick around for a couple of days and just continue to snow. So uh, that's uh, going to give us uh, some pretty uh, pretty heavy amounts. No doubt we'll be hearing more about this now in the coming days. I really appreciate your time, David. Thank you. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. So there you go, another uh, system coming our way, not unlike by the sounds of it, the one that affected many parts of the province last week. It sort of fizzled out in this area of the woods. We hope that to be the case this time around, and there could be some rain mixed in uh, with that this um, this week. But uh, who knows? We'll keep you in uh, informed of all the latest developments there. Well, coming up, there's been a spike in measles cases in many parts of Europe. What's behind the resurgence? We'll speak with Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the World Health Organization has issued a warning amid a measles outbreak in Europe and around the world. Measles, a highly contagious virus, preventable with two doses of the measles vaccine. But the WHO says in 2022, there were 33 million children who missed a dose. What's the situation here? Well, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, joins me now. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So uh, tell us, what's behind this uh, measles outbreak we're seeing around the world right now? Yeah, so certainly we are seeing an increase in measles cases uh, globally. And, uh, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but uh, I think the main reason really is just uh, um, an under-vaccinated population globally. And why is that? Because uh, there, there was a time where, you know, a lot of people would have thought that uh, measles had pretty much been eradicated in the Western world. Yeah, so I think there's there's probably a lot of reasons, but uh, certainly, you know, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, and people uh, choosing not to get vaccinated. Um, a lot of people think that perhaps vaccines are no longer needed, which is certainly not the case. The way that we maintain our our immunity is, is to uh, maintain our vaccination rates. And then, of course, you know, there have been a lot of things that could have delayed vaccination or um, caused obstacles to vaccinations, uh, the pandemic for one. Uh, but, you know, a lot of uh, things that are happening in the world, uh, conflicts in the world, uh, that sort of thing can certainly interfere with uh, with vaccination. I think a lot of us uh, probably don't have a very good understanding of uh, exactly what measles is. Uh, tell us a little bit about the illness and, and whether or not it's, um, you know, it has a serious impact on your health. It, it certainly can have a serious impact on your health. Uh, you know, most of us don't, I would think most of us, well, depending, I guess, on your age, but uh, most of us wouldn't really know what measles is because we wouldn't have seen cases of it. And uh, so measles is, a, is caused by a virus and quite an infectious virus. 
um, very easily spread in an unvaccinated population. And usually, you know, like a lot of these types of viruses, it starts with a fever, cough, runny nose, red eyes, that sort of thing. Uh, but then very quickly progresses to uh, include a rash that can spread from starts on the face and then spreads to the rest of the body. Um, and, yeah, you know, while most people don't have complications, um, there can be complications, complications in people, you know, who are at higher risk. And that would be children less than a year old, uh, pregnant women, people who have immune compromise for whatever reason. And, and so we can uh, see things like pneumonia, uh, encephalitis, which is an inflammation in the brain. And uh, some people sadly do die uh, because of measles. So, you know, there's not, uh, it's not a, a benign childhood disease. It certainly can have significant implications. How are we doing here? Uh, with regard to vaccination, uh, we, we certainly have done well. Our uh, so measles vaccine is given routinely in this province at 12 and 18 months of age for children. And so, you know, uh, public health nurses follow up uh, children very closely in the first couple of years of life, and, and they give them their vaccines at those uh, at 12 months and 18 months. They receive the MMRV vaccine. And so this vaccine is quite effective. Uh, when, once you have two doses, uh, its effectiveness against measles uh, nears 100%. So it's a very effective vaccine. And uh, so, but because measles is so contagious, uh, you need to have about a 95% population immunity um, in order to prevent uh, the spread of measles through a population if, if you have a, a case that gets introduced into a population, right? So, so we do need to have that high vaccination rate for measles, which in Newfoundland and Labrador, at, uh, we sort of look at the two-year mark um, as a two-year-old mark as uh, when we look at our vaccine rates, and, and we certainly are at that 95% rate. As a chief medical officer of health, does it worry you to see this kind of resurgence of these illnesses that we thought we had under control? Yeah, it certainly is concerning, obviously, uh, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, um, but uh, that uh, we want to make sure that people understand that these vaccines are are safe and effective, and they have been proven to be effective over the years uh, and certainly have uh, reduced, uh, you know, potentially very uh, significant um, illnesses in, in millions of people uh, preventing, preventing measles uh, infection, right? Have we seen any cases here? No, we haven't had any measles cases in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador for quite some time. Um, and uh, I knock on wood as I say that. And uh, those cases have been, uh, the, the most recent cases were travel related. So it's very important for people to ensure that, you know, if they are going to be traveling, especially to an area where um, there is more likely to be measles spreading through that area, what we call an endemic area for measles, uh, then it's very important to make sure that you have um, your MMR vaccines are updated. So you should have two doses of your MMR vaccine. Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. 
Uh, so that is Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald. And thankfully, we have not seen uh, any cases in Newfoundland and Labrador for quite some time. And the few that we have seen most recently were travel-related, in part because we have a fairly high uh, vaccine rate. But that's not the case uh, throughout the world. And uh, we're seeing this resurgence of measles uh, through um, right across the, uh, the planet, so uh, including in Europe. So so um, something to keep in mind if you happen to be traveling, if you don't happen to have your uh, updated uh, measles vaccines, you need uh, two doses, usually given, you know, as a, uh, when you're just a, a little baby. Uh, so uh, keep that in mind if you happen to be traveling. A report by uh, DBRS Morningstar suggests that the insurance industry is going to raise premiums for drivers of electric vehicles as Canada increasingly goes electric. And as you know, the, this um, policy has been brought in place by Ottawa to see um, the, I could guess, the gradual phase out of the sale of uh, the traditional combustion style engine vehicles by the year, I think it's 2030. 30, and I'm only going by memory here now. Uh, well, the insurance industry, uh, sorry, uh, DBRS Morningstar expects that the insurance industry is going to raise premiums for drivers of electric vehicles. That's because of the higher costs of buying and maintaining the vehicles. The debt rating agency says in the UK, insurers have in some cases opted to write off EVs rather than repairing them or replacing expensive battery packs. Can you imagine? Uh, so a lot of uh, difficulties remain, and that is likely going to be more common and drive up insurance rates in Canada. So if uh, insurance companies in the UK, for instance, are writing off EVs rather than uh, repairing them or replacing their battery packs, well, what does that mean environmentally? Mm. Counterintuitive is what it sounds like to me. One would think because you're going to have to manufacture mm -hmm. more vehicles and the batteries, of course, contain all kinds of, um, what do they call it, rare earth elements, um, uh, of which uh, Newfoundland and Labrador is trying to get into that now with more um, uh, exploration in that vein. But um, yeah, it's uh, interesting indeed. The uh, whole question remains about the feasibility of electric vehicles. I read a very interesting opinion piece by Andrew Coyne in the Globe and Mail uh, over the last little while, you know, just outlining, I suppose, the uh, economic policies surrounding uh, EVs. And uh, by the way, he's saying, you know, He's all for it. He's totally good with an electric vehicle. In fact, he was considering buying one himself. But when it comes to policy and the amount of money that the uh, federal government is putting into um, ensuring that uh, EVs are manufactured here and uh, built here and are on the market and the infrastructure that's going to be involved and all of those kinds of things that is kind of pushing the market instead of the market pushing Interesting. The development. Mm -hmm. um, uh, anyway, questions remain there, and he uh, he raised some of those in his opinion piece. Um, are the Oscars coming up? The dates I would have to look up. I don't know. I don't follow it, as you can clearly tell. Uh, but I see a little story here. A-list actors and little-known first-time nominees sitting down together for the annual Academy Awards nominees luncheon 
at the Beverly Hilton. March 10th. There you go. Mm -hmm. And so that's only a couple of weeks away. The centerpiece of the event is a class photo of the entire group of nominees. The event is expected to have a lighter tone than last year when Academy President Janet Yang used the event to address what she calls its inadequate response to Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Remember that I little do. piece of drama? Yeah. During the previous year's ceremony, subsequently learned that uh, he and uh, Jada Pickett, not even together. Well, yeah, they're they're not together, but I think they're probably on the same property. But it, they have that much money that they probably wouldn't have to see each other, even if they they are on the same property. And having been separated for quite some yeah. time, apparently, yeah, yeah. That's so true. So yeah. living, you know, their own lives, so to speak. Yeah, I I, I just cannot believe the uh, the traction that that story gained and yeah it'll be interesting to know how things are changed post the slap yeah but how many slap gags are going to be at this oh year's? yeah yeah I, I, although i don't know i you know it seems like I'm, i feel that there could still be as more more of a zero tolerance in, in that kind of thing now where it's considered i guess violent but anyway yeah. <laughs> We're up to news time. When we come back after the break, the Federal Auditor General says it's impossible to determine the full cost of Ottawa's adoption of the Arrive Can app. That was an app that was uh, brought in um, during the height of the COVID pandemic to uh, monitor travel in and out of Canada. Um, we'll hear more about that right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And we're back. Well, the Federal Auditor General is slamming Ottawa's Arrive Can app, saying the program was so poorly managed, she can't tell the true cost of it. The app was launched in April of 2020 to track health and contact information for people entering Canada during the pandemic. The original cost of $2.35 million ballooned to almost $60 million. Karen Hogan found little evidence that the app was properly tested, which may have contributed to more than 10,000 people being ordered to quarantine for 14 days in 2022, even though they had provided proof of vaccination. Here's what uh, Karen Hogan had to say to reporters in Ottawa today. The audit looked at how the Canada Border Services Agency, the Public Health Agency of Canada, and Public Services and Procurement Canada managed the procurement and development of the application, and whether they spent public funds in a way that delivered value for money. I will discuss our findings. But first, I have to say that I am deeply concerned by what this audit didn't find. We didn't find records to accurately show how much was spent on what, who did the work, or how and why contracting decisions were made. And that paper trail should have existed. Overall, this audit shows a glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices throughout ArriveCAN's development and implementation. Government organizations needed to be flexible and fast in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. But they still needed to document their decisions and demonstrate the prudent use of public funds. However, in this audit, we found disappointing failures and omissions everywhere we looked. 
Most concerning was that the Canada Border Services Agency did not have complete and accurate financial records. Because of this, we were unable to calculate the exact cost of the ArriveCan application. By piecing together the information available, we estimated that ArriveCan cost approximately $59.5 million. I'm now going to speak English because what we have found on financial documents is very concerning. Was that the Canada Border Services Agency did not have complete and accurate financial records. Because of this, we were unable to calculate the exact cost of the ArriveCan application. By piecing together available information, we estimated that ArriveCan cost approximately $59.5 million. La confusion s'est installée très There was confusion right from the beginning. From April 2020 to July 2021, we found that the Public Health Agency of Canada and the Canada Border Services Agency did not work together to establish each agency's responsibilities for ArriveCan. In this accountability void, neither organization developed and implemented good project management practices. This such as developing objectives and goals, as well as budgets and cost estimates. In our examination of contracting practices, we saw little documentation to support how and why the Canada Border Services Agency initially awarded GC Strategies the ArriveCan contract through a non-competitive process. Only one potential contractor submitted a proposal, and that proposal did not come from GC Strategies. Concerning, we found evidence that GC Strategies was involved in the development of requirements that were used when the agency later moved to a competitive process to award a $25 million contract for work on the ArriveCan app. The requirements were very specific and narrow. This gave GC Strategies an advantage that other potential bidders did not have. We also found that the Canada Border Services Agency's overall management of contracts was very poor. Essential information was missing from awarded contracts, such as clear deliverables and the qualifications required of workers. When we looked at invoices approved by the agency, details about the work performed and who did the work were often missing. This greatly contributed to our conclusion that the best value for money was not achieved. Finally, we found no evidence that Canada Border Services Agency employees disclosed invitations to private functions they received from contractors. and this is required by the agency's code of values and ethics. This created a significant risk or perception of a conflict of interest or bias around procurement decisions. Public servants must always be transparent and accountable to Canadians for their use of public funds. 
An emergency does not mean that all the rules go out the window and that departments and agencies are no longer required to document their decisions and keep complete and accurate records. As I said earlier, I believe that this audit of Arrive Can shows a glaring disregard for basic management practices. As a result, many questions that parliamentarians, as well as Canadians, are asking cannot be answered. The lack of information to support Arrive Can spending and decisions has compromised accountability. Thank you. I'm now ready to answer your questions. Uh, it will go to the room and then online. One question, one follow-up. Uh, first question to Ryan Tumulty, National Post. And if you want to ask a question, please raise your hand because I may not have seen you in the first round. It seems like your audit uh, presented really no reason as to why, could find no reason as to why GC Strategies was picked in the first place. Do you think that needs more um, deeper review in terms of both internally at CBSA, probably, or, or more widely from other agencies? Well, normally when there's a, a contract that's issued, the public service would have a, a well-documented file to support the decisions that they've made. And that's especially true when you use a non-competitive process, which would have been the first contract awarded to GC Strategies. And there is very little on file um, that explains why they were chosen, how they have the skills and competencies to uh, deliver on the contract. Uh, I'm not sure a broader review would find something when the files are this thin and there was very little that was maintained. So that's some of what uh, Karen Hogan, uh, Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan, had to say today about uh, her audit of the Arrive Can app used to monitor travel at the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, basically, she says uh, it's what they didn't find that's more troubling than what they did find because they could not find a lot of the basic financial information and management uh, policies and protocols and all the rest of it that usually goes with these kinds of uh, projects. Now, she did acknowledge, as you just heard, uh, that, you know, while she understands the haste that was required in, in putting this sort of thing together, that does not mean that you do not uh, document and keep track of everything. So uh, very interesting indeed, and the federal politicians already out uh, responding to that. If you have any thoughts, you're welcome to give us a call. When we come back after the break, the mayor of Gander still waiting on a solid date for the resumption of delivery services at James Payton Memorial Hospital. We'll have more on that when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the mayor of Gander is waiting on a solid date for the resumption of delivery services at James Payton Memorial Hospital as the one-year anniversary of Minister Tom Osborne's promise to maintain obstetrics in Gander fast approaches. On Friday, NL Health Services provided an update on the reopening of obstetrics at James Payton, but with no solid date indicating when deliveries will resume. Instead, the health authority provided an update on the transfer of existing pediatric and gynecology patients from one area of the hospital to 
to the other. For the last few days, women in labor, uh, last few years, I should say, women in labor have had to divert to Grand Falls, Windsor, a considerable distance for some in the James Payton catchment area. Percy Farwell has been a vocal advocate for the resumption of obstetric services in Gander. Here's what he had to say earlier today. Well, it will make a big impact and uh, be a great deal of relief uh, for the women of uh, this uh, large, uh, for a large part of this province that have been uh, assuming um, extraordinary risk over the last three. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to start again. <clears throat> uh, it'll, it'll, it'll have a significant impact on the, on the women of this part of the. Um, province that have been asked to endure uh, considerable, uh, to assume considerable risk over the last, what is now almost three consecutive winters of being three or more hours drive away from the nearest place they can deliver uh, babies. When it happens, it'll be a great relief. Uh, the release that, that, you know, was issued, I think, by the health authority maybe on Friday indicates the date of February 12th as some sort of a, a milestone in the reopening of obstetric services at James Payton Hospital, uh, as was, you know, directed, I guess, by the minister a year ago. Uh, but, you know, what the all February 2012 represents is uh, the moving of pediatrics and gynecology patients from one end of the hospital to the other, uh, you know, moving them into the obstetric unit. And while that phase of the transition is, uh, I guess, uh, I understand in line with the service delivery program for these programs and how they would, you know, place them within the infrastructure and so on, uh, moving existing patients and services from one end of the hospital to the other doesn't represent any progress in reestablishing diverted labor and delivery services, which are the services that have been removed from the hospital for, you know, going on two years and three full winters now. Uh, that, you know, that's that's the part that's been, pediatrics was never diverted from Gander. So, you know, moving patients from one end of the hospital to the other might be part of an overall opening plan, but it doesn't provide any relief or cause for celebration for or any certainty around when we can expect the first baby to be born there. So, I guess it's in that sense, it's a bit of a, that particular announcement and, and, and you know, announcement of, of the date for that uh, is a bit of a, a bit of a hollow egg, right? Uh, Have so. you been given any, um, you know, solid timelines? They're saying the beginning of the new year, but I mean, we're in mid-February now. We've we've been we've never been given solid timelines. Time there's a there's a very conscious. I think there's a directive not to provide any solid uh, dates and so on because that uh, makes it harder than when the date doesn't you know when when uh, when things don't happen as they were expected to on that date. Um, you know we we don't understand. We're, we continue to be uh, frustrated. Obviously, that a year uh, February 23rd will be one year since the minister indicated that the uh, obstetrics unit would be reopened in uh, in Gander at you know once HR the the, the required level of HR uh, support was was available whether that was obstetricians or nurses or midwives or uh, you know various disciplines that are needed to keep, to open a unit it's been a, it's been a year now since that was uh, committed to and interestingly this the release that that was released on on uh, Friday to I, I guess to to try to stimulate some optimism you know that or to uh, perhaps to respond to 
uh, some concerns that, you know, there's no dates being announced and, and why isn't there a date being announced? So the, there's a date of February 12th thrown out there for something that's not really related to uh, having births in the, in the hospital. Um, you know, the, the, the bulk of the release goes on to, you know, goes on to uh, you know, acknowledge all the progress that has been made and, you know, kudos to those in the system that have been working on the HR challenges. We know we know they existed to begin with. Um, but the the release goes on to talk about you know what what actually has been accomplished and then you know and 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 leaves one to wonder well what else needs to be accomplished in order to at least establish a date because reading from their own release you know they say that the required renovations to open the the uh, unit have been completed they're saying three of four obstetricians registered nurses and midwives are in place and in fact four obstetricians is a target that was set after the minister minister announced the the reopening uh which which amounts to uh, more obstetricians than has ever been in the hospital in the history in the 80 year history of delivering babies there including times when birth rates were far far higher <clears throat> so but it is a, you know a sort of a self-imposed uh, number, but three obstetricians are currently at the hospital in Gander. There's not three in Grand Falls, Windsor now, where they're doing all the births for all of Central. So there's three. You know, the, 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 the release says there's three of those four obstetricians are in are here and ready. Uh, the midwifery and the nursing team are ready and currently supporting clients. And I'm I'm reading now directly from from the release. Uh, competency assessments and training were completed in December 2023 with great success by the nursing midwifery and physician teams in the region so all these that's that's great progress but then you know buried in that same release is that uh, we you know we're working on uh, we're working on finding finalizing a date for reopening and we're left to wonder what what needs to happen in order for you to be able to establish a date and in the absence of any indication of what that is i mean you know, uh, it seems like all the resource challenges that were indicated when the unit closed and, and when it was kept closed for so long <clears throat> don't seem to be there anymore. So so we're kind of left to speculate as to what is the final hurdle for opening. And, and, and we can only surmise that the final hurdle for opening at the James Payton is probably the resolution of challenges somewhere else. And, you know, and, and in other words... <clears throat> In, in spite of having uh, more than sufficient resources at the James Payton Hospital to to open the unit there now, never mind set a date in the future, uh, the authority seems to be making, uh, I hope it's not the case, but it seems to be making a conscious choice to continue putting women and babies at risk in the eastern part of the region, which, as I said, has been occurring now for three consecutive winters, uh, probably to avoid any interruption in service somewhere else that might have the same impact on women and babies somewhere else, however temporary. So, you know, that's not, that's not something we, we appreciate. And, and, you know, I think the citizens of this area, and I don't mean Yander specifically, I mean more, more specifically the, the women in places like New West Valley and these places, um, you know, I think, I think these women and these, these citizens and these taxpayers, these patients, I think they've accepted more than their fair share of risk for an over a longer than necessary period of time for a problem that's not uniquely theirs.
it seems like the resolution to all obstetric issues in central Newfoundland uh, have to be uh, done at the expense of one particular group of patients and one particular geographic area and has been the case for a couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'd like to be more celebratory and and you know we and I certainly acknowledge that there's been work uh, a lot of work uh, done and and you know good work done in terms of you know uh, getting the staffing to where to the point where we are now the frustration is great we've gotten the we've gotten to the point we are now which to me appears certainly appears to be more than uh, sufficient to open while while finalizing and you know continuing to to um, to work on the 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 ultimate optimal solution to the to you know the whole service delivery in central uh, as a whole but uh, but we're continuing to refuse to even establish a date when that when it might happen and that's got to be really frustrating for for you know pregnant women that are in this region now that are you know expecting to deliver in the next couple of months and they don't know where they should be making arrangements to go to when it comes time to to go to one hospital or the other to have their baby and and it's just all this uncertainty and all this risk because when you add the extra time uh, to get from one you know to and actually we add an hour or until the length of time it takes to get to uh, where you're going to deliver a baby, you're adding a, a compo- an added component of risk that mathematically, ultimately, will result in a very bad outcome at some point, and that's undeniable. So, um, you know, we just like to see them, you know, when you've got more than enough resources, it appears, to, to safely open the unit, just announce the date to open it and open it. And if there's... If there's, you know, an issue that needs to be addressed somewhere else around, around how do we stay, sustain it in both places now, don't don't continue to keep and keep the place closed, that is able to sustain it now, and and while you're trying to resolve a problem somewhere else, right? That's our frustration. Some of that is, so you know, I I will admit some of that is speculative as to why the, why the delay. I'm sure the health authority will say that it is speculative and that that's that, you know, what I'm the situation I'm describing is perhaps not not why they're why they're really not uh, prepared to offer a uh, a date <clears throat> but it's it's difficult to uh, come up with any other reason why we wouldn't be able to get a date for opening when all the resources are in place. I mean, these people are real. There's three obstetricians on the ground. Two of them have been here for quite some time. It's a wonder they're still here. And the third one I, I met with last week, this is a real person, that real person that's on the ground for full time, not a locum. So there's now three full-time obstetricians here at the James Payton, and the service for the entire region for for the last you know year or more uh, has consisted of 2.7 uh, obstetricians delivering the service at, at the Central Newfoundland Regional Health Center, and yet we can't open for half the births with uh, with with more. So none of it makes any sense. And uh, anyway, I'll be happy when someone explains it to me. But I'll be happier. I don't care about the explanation so much as just get it open and 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 let's get that get, let's get that risk reduced, right? 
So that is the mayor of Gander, uh, Percy Far- Farwell, pulling no punches there in uh, uh, his call for uh, the resumption of services and a date to be set for the resumption of obstetric services at James Payton Memorial Hospital because, as he puts it, the longer you wait, the greater the level of risk to uh, expectant mothers. Well, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency is expanding a recall that started last week due to possible listeria contamination to include Southwest salad kits made by Dole and President's Choice, Dole's Avocado Ranch Chop Kit, and the Salsa Ensalada Kit by Fresh Express. The agency has already recalled Rojo's Black Bean Six-Layer Dip and President's Choice and Taylor Farms Mexican-Style Street Corn Salad Kits. All of the products uh, include cheese that's been suspected, uh, a suspected source, I should say, of a listeria outbreak in the United States. So if you have any of those um, in your fridge today, uh, you may want to bring them back to your point of purchase and see if you can get them um, replaced. Uh, That's it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.